I would like us to open our Bibles this morning. We're going to be this morning in the Old Testament book of Numbers. It's towards the beginning of your Bible. It's the fourth book, and we're continuing a chronological study of the life of our Savior called It's All About Jesus, and we're in this mini-series called The Revelation of Christ. When our Lord began his ministry, one of the first people that he had a one-on-one conversation with was a gentleman by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who would eventually come to believe in Jesus. And at this moment, Nicodemus has come to Jesus at night asking questions. And, And Jesus is very clear in his message to Nicodemus and telling him that the work of the Pharisees and the work of anybody and any people will not get you to heaven. It's the same message that Jesus has for us. Our Lord told Nicodemus that he needed to be born again. This is so much different than what the Pharisees had looked at as their way to heaven. But Jesus is saying that you need to be born again. This is a concept that is totally foreign to Nicodemus, and it's going to entail believing in Jesus. It would demand trusting in the Holy Spirit, a force that we can't see, a force that we can't touch, a force that we can't control. The Pharisees liked everything by the book. They liked to control everything. They liked to create rules. They weren't going to believe in just any old system that they couldn't control. That's not what they do. John writes for us in chapter 1 of his gospel, it'll be up on the screen, that belief was the requirement to come into the family of God. Look with me right here. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of will, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, it's this topic of belief that Jesus knew that Nicodemus would struggle with. That in order for Nicodemus to to kind of understand a little bit of what Jesus was talking about, Jesus is going to go back into the Old Testament and tell Nicodemus a story that Nicodemus would understand. See, he's a Pharisee. That's That's what they do They study the Old Testament, and especially what's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It's the Law of Moses. The Pharisees studied those books. And Jesus went into the Old Testament to remind Nicodemus of a time when belief saved the Hebrews. Turn with me, if you will, to Numbers. We're in chapter 21 this morning, as we're going to be reading verses 4 through 9 before returning to John chapter 3 in a message that I have titled for Whosoever Believes. So there was a time many years before this moment when Jesus and Nicodemus are speaking, a time when the Hebrews had left Egypt and they're on their way towards the promised land. God had, 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 had brought the plagues on Egypt and the, the Hebrews now are out into the desert, and they're wandering in the desert because of their total disobedience, their, their, their inability to trust God and to obey his commandments. God's not taking them straight to the promised land. They're wandering out there. Moses is the leader of the people, and Moses is really having a difficult time keeping these people in line. 
There was a moment when the people began to really complain to God. They were so frustrated that they're out in the desert and they're wandering around and they're getting nowhere and they're eating this same stuff. God provided what he called manna and it's all they ate every single day. All the time they're eating this and the people are getting discouraged and they're complaining to God and they're starting to wonder if they would have been better off just continuing to be slaves back in Egypt. Join me in Numbers, we're in chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Moses writes here, Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. And then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people, and then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and he attached attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by the snake would look at the bronze snake and be healed. I want you to see something in this passage. I want you to notice something. First, the Lord brought a way for the people to be saved. There was an answer. There was an opportunity to be saved. Second, that way involved belief. As a matter of fact, that way required belief. And third, not everyone believed. And those who didn't believe would eventually die. God said, all whom were bitten will believe if. If they believe if they look as jesus continues his conversation with nicodemus in the middle of the night jesus is telling nicodemus in order for you to spend eternity with the father you must be born again and to be born again is a spiritual birth it's not something you can control it will require faith nicodemus tells jesus that this just doesn't make any sense Come back with me into the book of John. As we continue in chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse number 9. And as we read, I want you to see the parallels between the story that we just saw of of the Hebrews out in the desert and the parallels between what Jesus is going to tell Nicodemus. Jesus actually is going to remind him of this story. But Nicodemus wouldn't have seen these parallels yet he'll recognize them in a few years but he doesn't recognize them now john 3 we're in verse number 9 jesus has just talked to nicodemus and telling him that he had to be born again and nicodemus says how are these things possible nicodemus asked jesus replied you are a respected jewish teacher and yet you don't understand these things I assure you, we will tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. 
But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Do you see the similarities? Do you see them? I you to write this down, point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us on your bulletin, you'll find on the left-hand side there's some fill-in-the-blanks. And I'll give you those fill-in-the-blanks here. Point number one, sometimes something as simple as faith can seem so difficult. Sometimes something as simple as faith can seem so difficult. So the Hebrews were in the wilderness, and... They'd been bitten by poisonous snakes, typically probably on their ankles unless they were asleep and lying down, and it could have been bitten anywhere on their body, and and they're dying, and they're hurting, and they're depressed. And Moses walks around the camp, and he tells the people that they simply need to look at this bronze snake on the pole, and you'll be healed. And he says, I need you to have faith. I need you to do what God has asked you to do. And your faith will lead to healing. Undoubtedly, there are many people in the camp who would look at Moses and say, what? This is stupid. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. You brought us out here in the middle of the desert and we're miserable and we're eating manna again. And now you want me to just... Look at a bronze snake on a pole and it's going to save me from this venomous bite that I've got in my ankle? No, ain't going to do it. I'm tired of you, Moses. And do you know what happened to the people who said no? They died because of their lack of faith. Their misery turned into death because they wouldn't look up. You say, well, how simple is it just to look up at a pole of a bronze snake and you'll be healed, just like Moses said? That's pretty hard when you don't have faith. Sometimes people find it hard to look up when life is nothing but down. On September 5th of 1961, a gentleman by the name of Horatio Spafford married his wife, Anna, in Chicago. Spafford was a wealthy man in the 1960s in Chicago. He, he was a lawyer of a large law firm. He was a, a real estate guy, and he had, he had a lot of real estate in the Chicago area. And he had spent fortunes building buildings. He had a sizable income. The great fire of Chicago came, and... Horatio lost everything that he had built. And not too long after that, another disaster came when scarlet fever took the life of his four-year-old son. And this man has lost his wealth and he's lost his son. And a couple of years later, he just, he, he's, he's struggling and his family is struggling. He says, you know what, we just need a vacation. We just need to get out. And he's very good friends with with D.L. Moody, who's an evangelist, is over in Great Britain, and he says, you know what, we're, going to, we're just going to go for a little while. Horatio couldn't go with his family. He couldn't set sail right away, so he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship, and he was going to follow them in a couple of days to Europe. 
It was on November 22nd of 1873, while crossing the Atlantic, that a ship was struck by another vessel, and 226 people lost their lives, including all four of Horatio's daughters. And his wife survived the tragedy, and upon getting to England and off of the ship, she sent a telegram to Horatio that simply said, Saved alone. Horatio went and started his trip sailing to England to be with his wife. And in the deepest time in his life, while the ship was sailing over this exact spot that his daughters lost their lives, he wrote these words to a beloved hymn. It says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. These words were written in the midst of so much pain and so much suffering, and they're a reminder to us today that that even though we may be enduring great suffering and hardship, it's not the end of God's plan for us. Amen? It's not the end. Sometimes God's children get discouraged because it appears like life is full of venomous snakes. And, and, and it's not only in these times of sorrow, but every time God is asking us to look up. Faith is bigger than anything we can see. It's bigger than what we can do. The author of Hebrews writes this in chapter 11, verse number 1, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. That's faith. See, Jesus knew that, that he would someday be nailed to a wooden pole. Jesus is using the story from the Old Testament to tell Nicodemus something This book that Nicodemus knows and this analogy that Jesus is using is telling about a future that Nicodemus can't understand yet. And Jesus is saying it's going to take faith of the people who looked up on the pole and believed that they would be cured and believed that they would be saved because they were being obedient. It's going to take that kind of faith. Jesus has asked us to be obedient in the same way. He told us that we need to be born again, and and to do so, he says, I need you to look on the pole. We need to look on the tree. We need to look at the cross because, because that's where our salvation is, because that's where our spiritual healing comes from. It comes from the cross. Jesus continues his discussion with Nicodemus. One of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible. It's up on your screen. I'd like to read it together. It's John 3.16. If you'll read this with me. Here we go. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Point number two in your notes this morning. The maker of the universe died for one reason. It's because he loves us. The maker of the universe died for one reason. It's because he loves us. We've heard this verse 
hundreds of times. If you ask Americans to quote a verse out of the Bible, typically it will be John 3.16. We see it on signs at football games. We see it over overpasses. From this verse, we learn some amazing qualities about God. We learn that God loves us. We learn that God gave. We learn that God has a son. We learn that everyone can come. And we learn that everlasting life is what he offers. As much as we learn about God from this verse, we discover so much more from one simple word within this verse. It's a small word. It's the word so. God didn't simply love the world. He so loved the world. He doesn't simply love you. He so loves you. To some people, you might say, I love you. But how much more does it mean? What's the difference? Can you see the difference when somebody says, I love you so much? It's two letters, but it shows the depth of God's love for us. He loved us so much that he decided to save us, that he decided to trade his son for you and I. Do you know how much God loves you? He loves you so much. There's some people, and we all know somebody like this, somebody who will do anything for their pets. One of the most difficult situations is when one of our animals becomes sick or has a health concern or maybe is tragically injured and we need to take that animal to the vet. And nobody is financially ready for what the vet is going to say. But when your pet is hurting and you walk in, you take your best friend to the vet, and the vet says, yeah, I can, I can help. And the nurse says, but to heal this, it's going to be $9,000. And it's so much more than you have. But you have a choice. The nurse also says that they can put your dog and your pet into a forever sleep with a simple shot that's humane and you can come back on Thursday and pick up her ashes and you can have a, you can have a service in your backyard and say goodbye and this is going to cost you about $112. You've got $9,000 or $112. You weren't expecting to pay $9,000 and some of you right now are thinking that no animal is worth this. Some of you are saying, you know what? I love my pet, but it's not worth it. But some of you are saying, I love my pet so much that I will do anything. Some of you are saying, if this is what it takes to bring home my pet, a member of our family, I will do it because I love my pet so much much. And we know that $9,000 is a massive amount of money. It's a massive sacrifice. And you might have to put it on a credit card. You might have to take money out of your 401k. You're calling friends and relatives and people to ask, can you help me? Can you help me? Your face is red from tears because you love your dog so much. And I know that it sounds strange to compare a pet to you and me because some people say, I love my pets, but I'd never spend that kind of money on my pets. But I want you to know that's what God did, and you are worth everything. 
God knew that he would have to pay more than thousands and thousands of dollars for your soul and for mine. He paid something that is even more than that. He gave his son. And I'm wondering if some of the angels were looking at God and saying, you paid what? You gave your son? Look at them. They're just humans. No human is worth the Son of God. Look at them. They're sinners. They don't obey you. They don't follow you. They curse your name. And maybe God would look back at his angels with tears in his eyes and he kept one hand on our shoulders and he said, I know all of that, but I love them so much. And God would do it again for you because he loves you that much. He didn't simply die for the people in the world that love him. He died for whosoever. He died for people who right now hate him. He died for people who sin. He died for people who don't keep his commandments. He died for people that say, I don't want anything to do with you. And he did it because he loves you so much. I'm wondering, how are we responding to God? All He wants is the same thing that we want when our children are sick or when our pets are hurt. He wants to hold us. He wants to heal us. He wants us to continue to look up. Because there is a God who loves us and never stops looking down. Never takes His eyes off of us. Jesus continues this conversation in Nicodemus in John 3, verses 17. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Him, but anyone who does not believe in Him has already been judged for not believing in God's own one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. This is such an important lesson. Write this down. Point number three in your notes this morning. The pleasures of this world will always sparkle, but they will never save. The pleasures of this world will always sparkle, but they will never Save. Jesus makes it clear that if you believe, you have already been saved. But if you don't believe, you have already been judged. That it's a clear gospel message. The only way to the Father is through belief in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. That's the message that as a church we need to take to the city of Paris. That is the message of Christ. People wonder these days why Christianity seems to be in a decline. And, and the answer actually has nothing to do with the truth of the gospel. It simply comes down to the fact that people want to do it on their own. They want to get there on their own path. They want to create their own faith, their own religion. They want to say, you can get there however you want to get there. And that the exclusive claims of Christianity are intolerant. People want to create shiny things. Shiny things that are fun to look at. 
There's so many cultures, lifestyles, fake religions that keep popping up based on man-made ideas. And, and they all have one thing in common. They diminish the truth of the gospel to make it a little easier on someone's heart so we can create our own path. In the book of Romans, Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 14, Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. See, there's people who will spend all day, all year, they'll come together with other people and devise a plan to create a religion to get them to their so-called heaven without having to follow Christ. It's easy to compare some of these religions and lifestyles and ideas to maybe some fad diets. I know no one in here knows anything about fad diets, but if you remember, some of us remember Fin Fin, there was a Fedra, there's, oh, the Mediterranean diet, there's, oh, this one's interesting, the raw food diet, okay, there's the zone diet, the grapefruit diet, the master cleanse diet, the morning banana diet, lamb chops and pineapple diet, Atkins diet, weekend fast diet, the 24-hour Hollywood diet. Who's seen that one at the Rite Aid? You see that bottle of that juice that doesn't look... Oh, and then here's the... Uh, this one is... Um, there's the baby food diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, baby food diet. And the list goes on and on, and you can try all the different diets in the world, but the one fact remains. You want to lose weight, here's the truth. Let me tell you the truth. It's the same it always has been. Eat better, exercise more. Amen? Amen. You want to go to heaven, here's the truth. Belief in Jesus Christ is the only way. Amen? Amen. That's what the Bible says. Look what Paul writes to the Galatians about walking in the truth. We're in Galatians chapter 5. It's up on the screen. He says in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Yeah, there's a reason why the Spirit is pushing up against fleshly desires. It's so important that we know this. The Bible isn't simply a story that comes out of nowhere. It's not just something that just showed up. The Bible has words God breathed onto the pages and put in front of you this morning. It's not by accident. This book was written on three different continents by up to 40 different authors over 1,500 years, and it has one story. There's a continuity through all of these authors, some of them dead for hundreds of years before the next person starts writing, and it has one story. It's to tell us who the creator of the world is, what he's like, how much he loves us, and it tells us how we could spend eternity with him. John goes on to tell us that this direction for our lives is, it's free. And we can have all this joy that comes with knowing Jesus. And yes, it will change our life. And it's going to bring us closer to our Creator and further away from guilt. And it's even going to come with people who are going to notice and it's going to come with people who are going to understand. 
And it's going to come with people who are going to be going through the same exact thing at the same exact time. Come back with me finally to John chapter 3. We're in verse number 20. John writes that Jesus tells Nicodemus, All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for the fear of their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Point number four in your notes this morning. A new life in Christ makes all our sin visible to Jesus so that he can pay for it with his blood. A new life in Christ makes all of our sin visible to Jesus so that he can pay for it with his blood. Jesus has a message for Nicodemus, and it's the same message for you and I. Jesus says that you can continue in your sin if you choose And you can hide it from everyone in your world. And you can think you're hiding it from me, Jesus says, but I am God and I see it. I already know about it. He already knows what's going on. And he wants to walk with you to the cross to drop off your sin. Jesus gives us relief from our sin. And that's... And that is what the light is for. It's to shine a light on our sin. It sounds like an area of our lives that we don't really want to let anyone into. But it, it's going to happen. It needs to happen so that we can grow closer to Christ and at the same time so that we can grow further away from our sin. Because once you put sin under the light of Jesus, it gets covered in the blood of Christ. That's what happens. Once you put sin under the light of Jesus, it gets covered in His blood. It's not you and I paying for it. Jesus has already covered all of our sin. If Jesus were here right now, He would say this. I can imagine Him telling us this and says, why are you still carrying that around? Why have you not yet brought it to Me? Because I already paid for it. All of that guilt, And that heavy heart that you have because of the sin that you know is in your life, I already paid for that. Let me have it. Leave this sin and let's move on together. Jesus really knows what our sin is. He already knows that. But what Jesus wants is for us to recognize it as sin. He wants us to stop. He does. We're... We love our kids' ministry. We really do love our kids' ministry. Let me tell you something. I'm going to side note for a minute. One of the churches that we're looking at has classrooms, so the kids can go into their own classroom. Amen? Jesus really knows what our sin is. He already knows that. But what, what he wants is for us to recognize our sin the way that he recognizes it. He wants us to stop making excuses. He really wants us to stop believing that what the world says, that it's okay. Jesus really wants us to bring it to him. 
there's this, he wants us to remember that he already paid for it and that, that we don't need to walk around anymore carrying our sin. That it's, it's time. That it's time to step away. That it's time to remember that Jesus just wants us to look up. Just to look up at the pole. To look up at our Savior. To look up at Jesus. Because God saves people who come with faith. He saved Hebrews who looked at a pole with a replica of a snake simply because they would do it. And he saves people that will look up at a cross with our Savior just simply because we believe. And simply because we have faith. If you're here today and you're not, and you're not sure if you're walking out any closer to Christ than when you walked in, I want to pray with you. And... I want you to know and I want you to go home knowing that God loves you so much and it is the fact that He loves you that much that He gave His Son and He gave His Son for all of us. I'm going to pray in a moment as Daniel comes up. And if you're, if you're here today and, and you're not sure, I want to pray with you. I'm going to be up front and and I'd really like I'd really love to pray with you. There's there is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. There is amazing power in the blood of Jesus. We have a savior who never takes his eye off of us, who continues to look down And he's just asking us to look up.